0: Welcome to Directors in Dialogue, Animation Edition. My name is Christina Yi, and I'm here at the Screen Directors Guild of Ireland interviewing animation directors about their craft. In this episode, we welcome Nora Toomey, the twice Oscar-nominated director and co-founder of Cartoon Saloon. She's best known for her stunning film, The Breadwinner, which was nominated for Best Animated Feature at the 2018 Academy Awards. And Nora, can you tell us where you're joining us from? I am in Kilkenny in Ireland, yeah.
1: So we have our studio here uh, called Cartoon Saloon. We've been here uh, 20 years now, so uh, we're very settled in at this point. 20 years, wow. You'd never think it to look at me, right?
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, Nora, I mean, you have had an absolutely amazing career so far. And, you know, just recently you were around the world at the Oscars for The Breadwinner. Uh, we actually have a big a big framed poster, a breadwinner poster here in the SDGI office. Oh. Um, could you tell us a little bit about how you got your start in the animation industry?
1: Yeah, I mean, it wasn't really um, a straight road for me. And I certainly didn't uh, know that I wanted to direct films or even do animation. You know, I, I started when I was a kid. I loved drawing. So uh, that's what I kind of continued to do around the ages of about 10. Most kids stop drawing. I just kept going. I loved it as a a method of communication, trying to figure out the world around me. Uh, I just continued to draw. I left school when I was about 15. I was really not um, couldn't fit into that box at all. So uh, so I left and did a couple of jobs, uh, you know, just, you know, uh, crazy jobs, like my first job was uh, making reproduction antique dolls. My second job was watching (laughs) conveyor belts full of uh, vegetables go by. But around um, 21, 22, I wanted to get back into education. So I uh, went back to college um, first to do kind of a foundation uh, general kind of art course to try and understand whether I wanted to do ceramics or textiles or fine art, whatever. But I discovered that the way to continue drawing was through animation. So it wasn't really because I mean I loved film I've always loved film I uh, loved animation um, but but it was more just a kind of a roundabout way it was as a, how do I get to draw so mm. so that's how I ended up in animation but when I went to animation College uh, in Bali in Dublin I met uh, Tom Moore Paul Young Jeremy Purcell Fabian Erlinghauser lots of people with whom I still work with today so we just um <clears throat> we hung around together we we liked to uh, talking about uh,
0: creating stuff so
1: that's that's what we we still do today
0: can you remember the the moment it really twigged for you that animation was a was a viable career option I think because I'd, I had, you know, <laughs> I had left school and, you know,
1: people weren't particularly expecting a whole lot from me, I guess um, anything would have been good. So so the fact that I was doing something that was stable at all,
0: <laughs> was a, was
1: a was a was a good thing, I think uh, when, uh, it was always a, a kind of a career opportunity in Ireland because um, uh, Don Bluth had set up a studio, uh, the Sullivan Bluth Studios uh, here in Dublin. Um, so it was seen, you could actually get a paycheck from animation. What was interesting, though, was by the time that I had finished college was it wasn't kind of, you know, the the, the big studio, the big American kind of studio model that we were kind of aspiring to. There was lots of little studios around Dublin. Uh, we had Monster, we had Brown Bag, Teredliff. So Smaller companies, you know, with maybe uh, 10 or 20 people, with, but uh, with big aspirations. And uh, so, so, so that model was there for, for us, basically. We knew that it was, it, it was possible to, to earn a living by drawing.
0: <laughs> and when did, you, um, when did the core team of you for Cartoon Saloon, when did you decide that it was time to strike out and start your own studio? You know, Tom and Paul had always been talking about it in college and had a few
1: kind of informal jobs, you know, making things for websites, you know, back in the late 90s and early, uh, yeah, late 90s, I guess. Um, so they had done a few little jobs. I had helped Tom out with a couple, uh, you know, we, we would draw, you know, make our drawings, scan them, and then, you know, for for like CD-ROMs and things like that. So we, we'd been at kind of bits and pieces, but uh, Tom had... Um, He came from Kilkenny. He um, had links with an organization called Young Irish Filmmakers here who offered us uh, a room in their their building. Uh, We managed to get a little bit of a grant together. So I think there was about 12 of us came down initially uh, to try and just make films, make shorts, you know. Uh, But certainly the, 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 the thing that kind of attracted us all in the first place was, I think, Tom... And Aidan Hart had this idea for um, a film around the, the Book of Kells, you know, making a film about how that was created. Um, and it was it was quite different, you know, in the early days to what what the film, uh, you know, eventually turned out to be. But I think it was the, the possibility there we could make a film together. So for us, yeah. that was that was really amazing. So that's how we started out. And it was great that we started out in Kilkenny because we would very few overheads. We were able to kind of make decisions and take risks. Because we had nothing to lose, right? We weren't, you know, we weren't in a, a really expensive premises in a, in a major city or anything like that. So, Absolutely. It, it, yeah, it helped us to to, uh, to to dig our feet down, you know.
0: Was it nerve-wracking for you guys to kind of just really dive in and go straight for a feature film? I think a lot of people love the idea of making a feature but uh, are, are nervous at the kind of, at the prospect of the long form rather than, you know, something episodic like television, which is more done in Dublin. You know what was interesting?
1: It took us years to get, you know, a proper managing director in our studio. Right now we've a fantastic managing director called Jerry Sharon who had run his own company here uh, in Ireland for, for many, many years. Um but I'm kinda of glad that we didn't have somebody with his wisdom and expertise in the very early <laughs> days because it kind of makes no sense, right? We we were we um we made the, the Secret Academs, we made short films, we did commercials, we uh but it was um It was just belief that we could, you know, but, you know, if you look at the hard facts, it doesn't make a whole heap of sense, you know, (laughs) Um, and and it took a long time. You know, now where we have like over 150 people in Cartoon Saloon, we have a sister company here in Kilkenny called Lighthouse Studios. Um, And that makes sense. Right. But but it takes a long time for it to to, to do that. And honestly, I'm a little bit pessimistic in nature, so I don't know (laughs) if somebody had. Presented the hard facts, you know that if you do make a a feature film, you're probably not going to be able to get, you know, f- you know, uh, major distribution, all this kind of stuff. So I'm 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 kind of glad that we were naive. You, you you need a huge dose of naivety, I think, to set up your own company, no matter what business you're in, but for um but for film and animation. You know, basically your business model is like, if I win the lottery or have a breakout <laughs> hit, then I will be a stable, you know, uh, company. But so so um, so, yeah, it's a, that that was uh, like I said, it just positivity, naivety, um, enthusiasm. We, we, we went a long way on, on those
0: uh, traits. <laughs> and can you tell us a bit about how it came about that uh, that you directed The Breadwinner? How did that project kind of come into come into being?
1: Yeah, it's interesting because again, you know, I'm not someone who really says, okay, I'm starting up my career. I want to be a director. So that, that, this is how I get there. You know, um, I had uh, I had made my own shorts. The Irish film board, uh, Screen Ireland, as they're known now, were incredibly supportive, um, all the way through my career. So they helped me with my first uh, short film through the framework series that they, they do. So, um, I had. I knew, you know, that there was more to directing than just animating. I knew, you know, it was working with actors, working with uh, composers, working with storyboarders. There was there was so much to it, uh, working with editors, of course. So um, uh, and I had uh, co-directed The Secret of Kells with Tom. Tom uh, you know, The Secret of Kells was very much Tom's baby, but I, I kind of came in and, and helped where I could in terms of trying to craft the story and work with the actors and, and, and all of that kind of stuff and the, the edit. Um, and with Song of the Sea, I'd come on as as a, a head of story, you know, but a, a, and all of the, you know, all of the, the the projects that we do here in Cartoon Saloon are managed creatively by either myself, Tom or Paul. You know, we try to really um, guide uh, everything that's, that's going on. But with The Breadwinner, again, I hadn't really been looking uh, to direct something, but um, Paul and Jerry came back from an animation market in the U.S. with the book, Deborah Ellis's book, um, which they had gotten from aircraft productions in, in, in Canada. Um, Anthony and, and Andrew there had had made contact. And uh, just it just honestly, I had the right kind of fear, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, I I could feel the uh, the character, I guess, the character of Piranha. I really felt that I um, could connect with her and I could make a connection with her and uh, a theatrical audience you know um so um for me that's just i i really feel like i just held onto Piranha's hand and you know she took th- took me through the whole process but we had a uh, an incredible time working on that film we had over 300 people working between ireland luxembourg and canada um it was an incredible experience uh, making making that film and when uh, i i won't forget in a hurry
0: <laughs> yes yeah and um We'll we'll touch on this because I think that we might have some listeners who aren't necessarily familiar with the animation industry, but it was uh you know it was a long process wasn't it? How long did it take to make the film? Yeah, you know I I think that first meeting with Aircraft Pictures took place in about two thousand twelve or two
1: thousand thirteen, and then we finished the final sound mix and color grade in uh, two thousand seventeen, the summer of two thousand seventeen, I think. Um. So yeah, it was it's it's a long process and like I said, over 300 people worked on the film. But Mm. at at times it was only like three or four people working, you know, and then there was a huge (laughs) lot of of people at at certain points. So it does take a long time. I like that about animation and especially it's especially suited to films like The Breadwinner. Mm. It meant that we could put in the right amount of groundwork. You know, we had uh, so many people share their experiences of what life was like in Afghanistan at the time that the film is set. Um, uh, And because that happened, over many years, you know, we were able to get uh, that kind of input over many years. It meant that we could make as considered a film as we possibly could and get the tone absolutely right, you know, Um, Mm. because, you know, it was a difficult film to make. It was a difficult film, even as a filmmaker to understand. Right. I was, you know, how how do you end a film like The Breadwinner? For me, that that took lots and lots of conversations with different people from different religious perspectives, different political perspectives. to try and get the tone exactly right for the film that we were trying to make. I was aware that Deborah's book had been first published in 2000 and so much had happened in -hmm. Afghanistan and around the world uh, since then. So to try and hit that right tone, I guess, was uh, was the the, the most important thing for, for me as a filmmaker and only because animation takes such a long time. Um, i think you know the, the, uh, you you can you can see that in the in the final uh, product you can see it in the, the final film
0: and what was the the research process like
1: it was it was it just meant reaching out to lots and lots of people uh, for example Amanullah Mojididi, who's an afghan american artist who um talked to our our art directors about um you know the the, the markets in in kabul the way that you know uh, the the guys would hold themselves in terms of, you know, whatever kind of, you know, um, just just general observations, I guess we mm-hmm. it, it meant I think had been able we'd been able to time travel with our cameras and go back, you know, to, uh, to that time and place, we wouldn't have picked up on as much as we were able to pick up when people shared their memories and shared little experiences. You know, somebody uh, talked about their their grandfather, how when he really wanted to talk about something serious with them, he would like, take out an apple and begin to peel it. Um, That became part of the film. Um, You know, we had uh, incredible actors like Kawa Ada. um, uh, uh, Just again, just sharing their experience and family. And lots of times it was kind of open ended. It wasn't like this is the point of the story I'm telling. It was just, you know, uh, little memories, um, feelings, you know, and we were able Mm -hmm. to put that into the. Uh, into the film. Uh, lots of times it was about how complicated life is, about how grey, many areas, you know, that nothing is right or wrong, nothing is black and white, everything, there were shades of of, of grey in there all the time. So I think that's what we ended up trying to communicate uh, most of all through the story of Piranha is just all of those shades of grey.
0: And have you had much, um, uh, I imagine, you know, you've shared this film with audiences all around the world, but have you had a lot of uh, interaction and kind of feedback from the from the afghani community
1: we yes the the film was uh, sh- was broadcast in afghanistan uh on uh one of the the national uh, tv stations there it was it was uh, dubbed into uh, pashto and dari the the two national languages of afghanistan um so yeah we've, we we i have sat beside rula Ghani, the first lady of afghanistan as she uh, watched the film in in washington i have sat with uh women who are now educators who would have cut their hair and dressed as a boy um, during that uh, uh, time period uh, in order to try and make uh, things a little bit better for their, their family. Um, so, yeah, all kinds of audience in Afghanistan, but also around the world. Um, mm-hmm. Sarah Chaudhry, the voice actor who uh, plays the part of Purana, uh just last week came back from Sarajevo, our Irish Film Festival, where she uh, talked about her interaction with the audience there and how they found so many similarities because of the, you know, the war that had gone on there, you know, um, similarities in in the tone of the film. Um, so you know it 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 uh, reaches many people. I've been to to China to watch the film South America. Um, uh, Paul Young, one of our producers, went to Russia, and again, so you you have people who have different historical connections with Afghanistan. You know, or their mm. their countries have. Um, so you, again, that's why. I'm so glad that we had such a long time in this film to try and get it as, as right as we possibly could, because it means that um, we are respecting as many people's connections with uh, the actual you know, uh, country and people as, as we possibly can. So, That's yeah, incredible. it's incredible. Yeah, it was, a, it was a very special film, I have to say. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm so proud of the work that uh, our team did on this film. I'm so Mm. glad that it is it is very much the product of so many people thinking very carefully about the type of story that we were trying to tell.
0: Coming from an animation background myself and I think animators do tend to have a bit of a reputation for for being introverts. (laughs) What's it like to you know to kind of be doing that and you know I think like it's like the classic thing of you go to an animation festival and you'll see dozens of people around just drawing in their sketchbooks. What's it like to kind of come from that and then be, you know, like, as you say, like all around the world, like sitting next to like important dignitaries and, you know, kind of having to probably do a lot of public speaking? Well, it's
1: it's interesting because you end up using a whole different side to your personality. Yes, I, I love sitting if I can hide even in the smallest team, you know, even talking to my own team can be like a pressure and, a, <laughs> you know, so so uh, trying to. um find ways of 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 doing that of of pushing outside myself i think that all of us who are interested in animation probably draw because uh there you know we weren't so good at communicating in other ways you know <laughs> so um so it's 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 a, such a wonderful way of, of of communicating though so for for me um, I'm a kind of a repressed actor anyway, you know, like I w- would have been too shy to ever get on a stage or in front of a camera or anything like that. But I love I love doing temp tracks for my own stuff or just fooling around, messing around with microphones. Um, so I, uh, uh, connect really well with, with actors. Um, and when I have to, you know, switch it on as you do, um, for, uh, for, for any of these kind of big occasions where you end up in front of an audience talking about the filmmaking process, um, you know, it, it, you're just accessing a different uh, part of your your, your personality. But mm-hmm. what's always really interesting, of course, is with audiences like that, um, they bring 50 percent. So if you can just feel like you're you're having a, an intimate conversation, albeit with, a you know, with an audience, you know, um, then then that's that's good. But uh, yeah, I mean, the older I get, the less um, you know, the less it 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 uh, it, it frightens me, let's say. Mm, but at the same mm. time, you know, I, I, I like I like to challenge myself. I think we all have to challenge ourselves. And usually as much as I, I honestly don't really look forward to those kind of situations, I'm always glad that I did them, you know, and I, I always yeah. learn something new and I always get some kind of a kick in the butt that kind of makes me really understand that, you know, I don't know half as much as I think I know, <laughs> really, you know. <laughs>
0: And do you have, like, a favorite part of the directing process? Um, It's, oh, I don't know. I mean,
1: the the toughest part, but the most challenging and rewarding part is when you're, of course, working on the screenplay and the first animatic that you make, you know. So the first animatic is with really rough storyboards. You might have just, like... um, you know, uh, uh, temp voice tracks in there, temp music, temp sound effects, and all that kind of stuff. But that is the film you're making. The film it's the first layer of of uh, storytelling, kind of going down on onto your avid or your your, your editing uh, software, and you just build on top of that layer after layer after layer. For me, that's where I learn how to communicate with my team what I feel the core of the story is. The more that you can communicate what the, you think the core of the story is. They can then all take their individual skills and talents and build upon that. You know, Uh, for me, I try to let go as much as I can. I remember years ago watching um, The Talented Mr. Ripley and then seeing the DVD extras and seeing uh, an interview with Anthony Anthony who, you know, he he as director kind of uh, explained his entire process. Mm. And I realized he let go of so much, you know, he was so um, confident, he was he was able to give a huge amount of control to his editors, to his actors, you know, uh, and let them own the project, let them Mm -hmm. have a sense of ownership on the work that they did. And so for me, you know, he's a he's a guiding light and someone who I think of often when I'm trying to direct myself. So it, it, uh, it, you know, in, in one sense, I've always been a kind of a control freak. But I try to let go um, and try to be more like like him as a director, because I, I know that you, you it's so rewarding. It's so incredible. You, you, you know, people bring things to your your film that you couldn't possibly have anticipated if they have a sense of ownership. Mm-hmm. Um, it, certainly, you know, it needs to be guided and needs to be directed. But it, it, it is about trying to empower the people around you to help make the best film that
0: you possibly can. Uh, we touched on this a bit, uh, I was talking with uh, Aiden McAteer earlier and we were saying that, that that sounds like a thing that maybe is especially important in animation, like keeping up the morale of your team and having people feel heard because, you know, maybe in live action films, directors have a bit more of uh, a, re- a reputation for being, you know, very strict and even, uh, you know, occasionally unpleasant. But with animation, you know, but that film might be over, done filming in three months. Mm. But with animation, it's a it's a matter of years. It it
1: goes on for so long. And I've seen, you know, situations where people are closed down, you know, where people are being used like a, an extra arm on a project or something like <laughs> that. And it, uh, it you know, you can see that on the screen, honestly, you know, but you can also see when people are absolutely enjoying the job that they're doing. There might be lots of mistakes up on the screen, but they're honest mistakes and they are energetic mistakes and they are full of heart, you know. Um, and that's the beauty of uh, um, being creative as part of a team. You know, I mean, it's for me, it's the ultimate expression of hope. You know, people working together on one project, telling one story there might be hundreds of them, they might be across the world, but mm. uh, but but when they you know, when, when you have so many people work together to make one, uh, you know, to express one, um, you know, the, the heart of one character, then that's that's absolutely you know, that's what it's all about for me. Certainly, you know, so if I can uh, in some way, try to, you know, empower the people around me to to uh, work towards that, then 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 I'm doing something right. You
0: know? <laughs> and do you think that there are, are qualities that it's important to cultivate as a director? Like, you know, for those out there, either in the animation industry or or students, aspiring directors, like what do you think is important for them to work on? Uh, I, I You you do
1: have to be a a really good communicator. Um, and again, not just say I think this film is about this character doing you know X and and that's where, where we're going, whatever. But it's it's more about um, expressing um, it, you know the emotion as much as you can, you know, in, in, uh, with your film. Uh, you you have to be quite disciplined. You have to you know learning how to talk to a writer is different, you know, in in a sense to talking to a composer to talking to an animator, but they all need to know that information. What is it? What who is our you know our, our protagonist in this film? What's his deal or her deal? You know what what what's going on for them? What's that one sentence that we can build everything around? You know what ma- what puts the lump in our throat? You know what what makes us feel excited? So, um, a, y- 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 sometimes you end up saying the same thing over and over again. Why are you know why <laughs> why does this scene exist in the film? There you know the, that that's the question you ask the the writer, but it's also a question that you you ask the the sound designer that you know you, you have to explore with them. Um, all the way down the line, certainly something you have to ask with your editor, you know, over and over again. Um, so yeah, being able to communicate, but being able to listen as well, uh, know when you're wrong, mm-hmm. and and not and, and have the confidence uh, to 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 be able to express that, you know, um, I think that that's a huge thing. Uh, if your team believe that you are wanting to make the best film possible. Uh, with you know, with 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 all of their input, then they'll 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 come with you anywhere, you know. And it's not a it's not a question of following; it's a question of you know of, of of getting there together. So there, that takes a lot of confidence. But again, that that takes me back to Anthony Mangala. You know, for me, that that's what he really embodied. You know, that that sense of generosity um, and creativity. Hmm. Um,
0: yeah. And is there any one place that you kind of turn to for inspiration? Oh. I mean, I look at, yeah, I, I do look at other filmmakers uh, all the time.
1: Um, Deborah Granick, you know, who made uh, that wonderful film, uh, Leave No Trace. Uh, oh, yeah. uh, the British filmmaker Joanna Hogg, who made an absolutely gorgeous film, Archipelago. You know, these filmmakers all have uh, different uh, ways of, you know, getting getting the film up on the screen. Uh, David Lean, I love uh, Great Expectations. Oh, yeah. I, I uh, a couple of years ago made my two children, who were much too young, watch <laughs> Great Expectations. <laughs> I think I might have traumatized them, but I'd watched it as a as a as a young kid myself, and it just really um, stayed with me. Um, you know, I love the studios or the the films of uh, Studio Ghibli, of course. Uh, but um, so it, it changes. Honestly, it, whatever is going on for me, whatever film I'm making at the moment, I, I try to find. Voices that are similar, uh, or have you know had similar challenges, and then I I I go to 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 that for inspiration, and then it might change again after a few years. I might find inspiration from somewhere else. I don't think, I don't know. I mean, obviously you have a, an emotional connection with films that you saw as a child, but I don't know if some if people really hang on to the same films for their entire life because we're mm. looking we're always looking for stories that that mirror our own experiences, whether as filmmakers or just as, you know, as, as people who love stories. Mm. Um, but uh, for me, that changes quite a bit. You know, over the years, I, I find myself drawn to different types of films at different points in my life.
0: And can you tell us a little bit about what projects uh, you're working on at the moment?
1: Yeah, so in in Cartoon Saloon, uh, Tom Moore and Ross Stewart are working on a film called Wolf Walkers. We're also uh, working on a TV series um, called Dark Vandango at the moment uh, with Fabian Erlinghauser. And I'm working on uh, My Father's Dragon uh, for Netflix um, with Mockingbird Pictures in the States. And uh, Meg LeFove is is writing that she wrote, of course, on on Captain Marvel and on uh, Inside Out. Of course, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, she's uh, an incredible writer. I'm working on it here with my my team. Uh, I've a head of story, Giovanna Ferrari, I've, uh, Louise Bagnell, who recently was uh, nominated for an Oscar for her short film, Late Afternoon, is uh, my assistant director on the project. So we're having
0: a, a lot of fun now <laughs> at the moment. Can you tell us anything about what's uh, what's inspiring you for that project at, so far? <laughs> You know, um, children are inspiring
1: me quite a bit. I have I have two boys that are in similar age to the the characters, uh, the, the main characters in the film, and uh, we're very much looking at children's drawings and trying to really get down on the floor and try to think like children for this film, you know, mm-hmm. and really put um, put, a, you know, a, a real children's experience, uh, an imaginative experience up on the screen. Um, a, in a in a way that, that that we hope you know is is quite refreshing. You know, we really want to get that that uh, wonderful childhood friendship up there on the screen, and then surround it
0: with all of this kind of fantastical, crazy, you know, children's imagination. So everyone has been talking in the industry lately about like how the the landscape itself is shifting. You know, really quite dramatically. Like we're moving a bit of, you know increasingly away from traditional broadcast and even from traditional cinema release the prevalence mm. of streaming services. What's it like to be kind of right in there with it and, and doing this film with a, well, with a streaming service? Yeah, you know, and we,
1: we've been uh, supported for many, many years uh, by the likes of G-Kids in the States, you know, who really champion independent film. Um, now we're working with uh, with with Netflix on My Father's Dragon. Um, Apple, of course, came on board for, for Wolfwalkers. Um, We're just trying to navigate it, you know, um, and trying to figure it out. Uh, I love cinema. I hope that there is a a really strong future for cinema. I know, though, that if we continued on with the model that we were using, I don't know if we would have had any more visibility. I don't know if somebody living in a small town in the States would ever have access to, you know, a a film that 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 we make, you know, so for, Mm. for me, the fact that you know the big streamers can get into every household you know and every device means that our stories uh reach a broader audience of course for me it's all you know the cinema is the goal
0: um, absolutely yeah but um you know but but a device is better than nothing right <laughs> so i I'm, I'm very much with you on that and i love the experience of going into a cinema now what would you say, you know, to people? I, I it's one of those things where would be like, oh well, why should I go to the cinema? You know, I can watch this at home. Maybe some people have really big TVs or great sound systems. What do you think is the magic of the cinema? Like what are people getting there that they're not getting at home? Uh, you, you know what? Yeah, you know,
1: sitting um, in that wonderful spot, right? Finding your 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 good spot in the in the in the cinema and and standing up afterwards when the lights go up and making eye contact with a stranger, you know. And realizing that you have both had a huge emotional experience again, I mean, it it really brings me back to that idea of of hope and, you know, communal experience, um, you know, expressing empathy together. With strangers, mm. you know, again, that there the, the, there is nothing quite like it, and I don't think you have the same experience, really. I think that you know, if if you're watching something on your own, or mm. even with people that you're very familiar with, I think there's something about. It's like going to a concert. You know, you can listen to wonderful, you know, sound on your with your headphones, whatever. It's great, <laughs> but you know, it, but uh, going to a concert, it's the same thing. It's like we, we're all experiencing it together. Um, that that that's you know part of what makes us human.
0: Do you enjoy watching your own films with an audience?
1: <laughs> um, uh, that uh, enjoy is a is a f- is a funny <laughs> word. Um, I I I don't take it for granted at all. You know, I I do when I can watch my um, films that I've been involved with uh, with an audience because it's really humbling. You realise it's no longer your film; uh, it belongs to them now, and whatever connections they have with the characters are theirs and not yours anymore. Um, and you. It, it forces you to take absolute responsibility for the choices that you've made uh, as a filmmaker, you know, um, uh, and it's quite a you know it's 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 some experience. I'll tell you, I've squirmed in many <laughs> many seats over the years from that first short, you know, uh, film where I, I got to see that film in uh, Galway uh, Film Fly here in, in in Ireland, but also in Annecy, you know, which is a huge animation festival. Um, and you realize, oh, it, yeah, there is nothing wakes you up <laughs> as much as watching your watching your film with it with an audience like that. Mm. Um, and, and honestly, when I sit at uh, uh, an uh, avid an station, um, I, I try to imagine that. And so instead of like just sitting in my office here with a well, you know, with my screens, I try to imagine that I'm sitting in the middle of an audience like that with, you know, older people, younger people, and try to justify what I'm trying to do to them, you know, and,
0: and that, like I said, there's nothing quite so humbling as as doing that. And um, I think you were, have you been involved in the process of um, of the, the TV series that Cartoon Saloon is working on at the moment with Dork Vandango? I
1: have, yeah. So um, back when we were working on The Breadwinner. Um, Fabian who was uh, the uh, animation director on The Breadwinner would come into my office um, and we would look you know we 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 can see there's a there's a school next door to to our studio and we were looking at all the different kind of social dynamics going on you know with the, with the different groups of children um, and that really kind of informed that show you know it's it's in one on one hand so it's about you know a, a young boy who has just a crazy group of friends one's an alien one's a, like a 400 year old witch one is a, a unicorn and one is a ghost and it's just it's not so much in the setup it's in the relationships between the characters you know again we wanted to get that really real feeling you know when you when you you, you choose a friend, you have a friend when you're a kid, and it feels like, oh my God, nobody understands me in this world like my best friend. you know, so we really tried to put that at the heart of of uh, Dork Vandango. um Nick Murphy, Nick Vincent Murphy, who uh, is an incredible writer who of course is um, uh, Chris O'Dowd's writing partner. He wrote uh, the, m- a lot of the episodes for 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 moonboy and and, and produced that mm. with uh, with Chris. So he's an incredible writing talent, you know, and again gets that sense of reality. And then you know surrounds it with craziness and you know <laughs> wacky kind of you know uh you know uh, silliness but it but again yeah I, I really get that that wonderful feeling from from Doric. so yeah i've been you know i've been uh, involved um i try to shepherd um uh, you know uh, with tom and paul everything that's going on here so mm. that we get that that we, we we try to make sure that everything is, is is fully supported in the in the studio
0: and what do you think like what feels different about the process of creating? a TV series as opposed to a feature film? Gosh,
1: they're all hard work, I'll tell you that. You know? <laughs> but um, what's different about them? Well, I mean, it is it is pretty much just the format. I mean, uh, Dorg is, uh, you know, 11 minutes, 52 episodes. Um, and you have to, you know, continually revisit those same relationships and try to find new stories, something new to say uh, every time. Um, we're working in co-production on that, you know. So working with another studio, DHX in Canada, is is really interesting as well. Um, so you 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 kind of have different challenges, but at the same time, it's the same. It's just storytelling. At the end of the day, mm. it's just trying to understand your character to to find something in yourself that really connects with that character, and then let that lead you uh, through the process um, with your with your team. Um, so yeah, Fabian's doing a, an incredible job on that. I love seeing you know, people like Fabian or, you know, Louise Bagnell um, or Giovanna Ferrari, who's a, like I said, the head of story on, on uh, My Father's Dragon, just um, taking that step up, you know, the next step and, and becoming directors themselves or really, you know, be, becoming uh, uh, driving forces uh, behind their own uh, projects. You know, for me, that's a that's a massive thrill, you know, seeing, seeing people really push their, their you know, their, 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 their creativity as, as much as they
0: can and it sounds like it comes right around right back around to your own directing style which you in which you're saying you're kind of wanting to give people opportunities to to contribute and you know well, listening well, to them absolutely but you know at the end of the day maybe it's selfish
1: right cuz it's energizing right <laughs> i mean for me i get the huge uh, thrill. If you make the problem that's like might be a story problem in, in your film or something like that you make that everybody's problem, you've got everybody looking for a solution there, you know, <laughs> and again, it as a director, you know, maybe the solution doesn't come from you. Maybe you just have to really listen or maybe you've got the wrong solution. Somebody else has the right one. And again, it takes, you know, it's, it's down to um, obviously, you you know, you have to have leadership, but you also have to have humility and you have to be open and that. And, and honestly, I think now, seeing the, you know, when I went to college, I was one of three or four women in my in my year in college. It was, you know, very much a kind of male dominated uh, atmosphere, even in the early days in Cartoon Saloon. There weren't many of us uh, there, but seeing seeing as things are evening up now, realizing that it's not about me trying to be masculine in my in my directing style. It's actually the opposite. It's about making you know, the, the, the environment in the studio, um, more human, right? We mm. all have families. We all are, you know, we, we can, It, it take, like I said, it takes strength to admit to flaws. You know, women and, and men, you know, they, they, they may have direct, uh, different uh, directing styles, but we all benefit, men as well as women, from trying to make our work environment more human, you know? Um, and certainly I can, I can see the the, the benefits of that, uh, you know, in, in, in our studio, mm, um, mm. as things even up.
0: Mm. So I think that a lot of people feel, um, uh, and maybe this isn't true, but I think that especially young people and students get the feeling that uh, the things that you make have to kind of all fit into some something that tonally makes sense. And maybe this is like a byproduct of the whole thing of like the age of branding or like what's your brand as an individual. But Cartoon Saloon and you yourself have done, you know, things that I think totally cross tonal boundaries, you know, that that can be really different and individual and unique and still be from your own voice. What would you think about, like, what's it like to be, you know, shifting tones or subject matter or comedy styles? Oh,
1: you know, we spent many, many years trying to write our business plan, trying to define ourselves, trying to see what it is that makes us unique in the marketplace and all this kind of stuff. And we never answered any of those (laughs) questions, you know. um and and we're no closer to answering them really we're a group of like-minded people you know who like to challenge ourselves and each other and support uh, uh, you know each other as well and that's where it's at for me i think the day that i really if when brand comes up first and foremost when i'm thinking about my you know my next project that's the day i should quit really you know um that's that's it's it's not a it yeah it's not that's not a real place and you can't mm-hmm. have a project come from a place that's not real you know um, so I don't know I mean people look from the outside and they can see uh, you know similar similarity in, in in the styles of you know uh, projects that we make and you know themes and all this kind of stuff and that's fine you know there are many ways to look at everything and I'm certainly always surprised and uh, uh, you know and, and curious to see how our work is interpreted but. Um, but, yeah, that's I don't know that's not for us, you know mm. honestly um I, I I think that we need to continue to just try and tell the best stories we can in whatever kind of format that takes. I don't know it, it, um, like I said, branding and all that kind of stuff is mm. is horrendously limiting,
0: <laughs> yeah. And do you have any advice like for for students and, and, you know, kind of I especially think this way about students like young, young students who are coming up and who have never lived in a world um, where they weren't expected in some way to have a social media presence like, you know, how to how to combat the pressure of that and kind of keep in touch with their own uh, artistic voice? Well, this is, you know, that's it. That's a
1: huge, huge thing. And I think something that we all struggle with, you know, we've all kind of come up through it now and try to. You know, <laughs> is your drawing a good drawing because you've got, you know, a certain amount of likes and all of this mm. kind of stuff? Or is your drawing a good drawing because it taught you something? You know, um, a, it, that that's a really difficult thing to manage, you know, and, and making something for, you know, uh, instant gratification, you know, it, 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 it's really difficult. I, I'm a huge believer in keeping sketchbooks and keeping some of them really private and really being real and honest with yourself uh in those sketchbooks and then you can always put up what you want afterwards or you can you know 20 years later revisit them or whatever and and, and make them public if you want to, whatever it, it the, the the thing is yeah it, it's it's a really difficult time i i'm 47 i would not like to be 27 or 17 trying to <laughs> uh you know trying to navigate the the, the social media because um because I wasn't, you know, the most confident at 17 or even 27, really, honestly. Uh, uh, you know, I'm still not. <laughs> but but um, but but I'm, I'm glad I didn't have the challenges, you know, uh, that 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 people are facing younger and younger now, you know, um, I don't know if I if I have any advice besides keep some things just for yourself, you need you need a place that feels really secure. Mm. That's not open to, you know, other people's interpretations or, you know, their their you know, uh, quickfire tweets or whatever, you know, kind of thing. You, you need a place that just feels secure so that you can understand or begin to kind of explore yourself, understand yourself, understand the people around you, a place that can be full of mistakes and it doesn't mm. bloody
0: matter. Yeah, know? absolutely.
1: Mm. And,
0: you know, I guess like the other side of that, do you as a studio, when you're hiring people, um, you know, what do you look for? In, in new talent coming up? Um where,
1: you know, because we look we look for people of all different uh, skill sets, uh, all all different points in their career, you know, people who have 20 years experience, people of one year experience, but we do look for uh, an ability to self edit, you know. So lots of times, you know, we have students there who will you know put up work that might be five years old, which was great for five years ago. But you can see that they have moved on hugely, but they still have that, you know, early stuff there. So the the ability to to look critically at your own work and say, you know what, this doesn't represent me anymore, um, so I'm, I'm just going to take it down. You know, so 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 looking at that uh, is hugely important. Somebody who works well in a team, you know, nothing we do is in isolation here. You know, um, so it's it's not just about you know being supportive of your own skills and talents, but it's you know those around you as well being able to 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 work in that kind of environment is 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 really important. But you know, um i I don't know i i suppose after whatever twenty whatever years that i'm i i've been in this industry, I realize that looking back at those twenty something years whatever I haven't been on top form all the time. I haven't had the same interests all the time you know i haven't you know uh' this, you know sometimes I'm really interested in uh, you know animation or editing or whatever you know it um things change all the time our skill sets change uh what we consider important changes, so just uh, knowing that you're not going to, you know, you're not going to be driven. What you think is important at 20 mightn't be what's important at 50 and uh, vice versa. You know, that just allowing for that kind of change as well and not being afraid to say no. You know, I, I really respect people who, you know, you offer them a, a position and they say, Do you know what, that's not really where I, I see myself right now. And I really respect that, you know, that that's a, and again, that's something new, you know, um, uh, doing your time in the trenches, you know, uh, uh, understanding uh, the the whole, you know, filmmaking production is great. But, um, uh, you know, and, and certainly, you know, if you think that you're going to be a fantastic director at 20, there are very few people who are fantastic directors at 20. You know, you, you do need to have uh, a little bit of a, you know, a, a experience um, uh, I guess, really. But yeah, so I don't know, all of those things. That was a that was a, a rambling way to, to answer that question. But you're, there you go.
0: No, it's great, though. <laughs> and actually, that, that kind of uh, brings up another point as well, because I think it, it's a lot of people have been, um, especially right now, and, you know, in the States, but I do think here in Ireland as well, kind of questioning the role of, of um, education and of a college degree, especially in um, a person's career, and you know you were saying that you you were a person who, you know, uh left school early, just not fitting into that mold or uh, into that box. Like what do you think the role of education is or should be or could be in kind of nurturing animation professionals? You know, I uh I continually try to
1: um train myself up, you know, more uh, uh and realize that uh, you know, I, I we just did a, a training course with uh, Jim Capabianco, then you know, amazing uh, story guy from from Pixar um, mm. uh, recently. Um, so you have to keep training. It's not just something that you finish at whatever twenty four and that's it. You have to continually uh, train up, continually look for new ways to look at again. You know that the work that you're doing, how you tackle it, it energizes you. You know, you know education energizes you. Um, I mean, I I I understand the value of a degree. I think that if you want to travel, you really need to you need mm-hmm. to have a degree. Um, how you do it, where you do it, is 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 another uh, another matter. Um, what's available online for free is amazing now. You know, yeah. you can you know again if you if you follow a director you want to see what makes them tick, you can find that out so easily. It's it's, it's amazing. Um, but it's, uh, nothing beats hard work, you know, <laughs> uh, nobody else can tell you how to do it at the end of the day, though. They can kind of point you in, in, in the right way. Uh, but you have to, you have to do that work yourself. And again, you know, the, the, the real learning process is in making lots of mistakes. You know, I've made tons of them in my career and they've all, they've all taught me something. Um, and, and, and nothing beats mistakes for, for, for teaching you. you know? Yeah. Yeah.
0: So you've talked uh um quite a bit and you know in other interviews as well about um uh not feeling confident or always have that feeling of um of looking around going like, Oh, is this is this have I arrived? Is this it? You know, is this is this what this is now? <laughs> being uh yeah. being like extremely successful and uh a a real grown-up as it were, <laughs> in out in the industry. <laughs> Do you think that that's a feeling that um, that ever goes away?
1: Um, not for me. <laughs> I don't know what it's like for other for other people, but I never you know, I, it was funny, you know, that um, I at the uh, just at the Oscars, right, walking up the red carpet at the Oscars, uh, having got a, a, a nomination for the breadwinner, I was thinking, oh, do you know what? I just still feel like, uh, you know, <laughs> the kid, the kid who left school. You know, and 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 uh, w- went off to w- to work in a factory. You know the, um ah, uh, I you know you're always asking questions. You're always trying to yeah, you know, try and feel comfortable in in in, in your own skin and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I don't think I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just I I don't like to try and fight my demons uh, too much either because I, I I like to think that maybe you know some of them certainly help me be creative and so, some of them keep me very very grounded. And again, it's got to do with you know uh, understanding who you are and and uh, um so i you know yeah I, I i i never really will feel comfortable with that kind of success and some and again, maybe it's being irish and brought well, <laughs> up as a catholic i don't know but you know i'm, I'm more comfortable with uh, misery and failure i guess than uh, and with uh, red carpets and all of that kind of stuff but um, I, you know i i enjoy them and i you know the the the, the nicest thing about um it, it all is to you know, to, to get to do things like this, right? So, mm. um, you know, again, maybe maybe somebody listening to this will get a little bit inspired or, you know, by by something that I say, and maybe that'll, you know, go on to, to be, uh, you know, somebody's project, which turns out to be an amazing film that I'll go to in the <laughs> cinema and I'll stand up at the end and somebody else will be crying and, you know, <laughs> and I'll never know that maybe something I said might have might have been a little influenced there or something. Absolutely. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. We're, we're all big pot messes, right? So, you know. <laughs>
0: That's an excellent that's, that's, way of putting it. But <laughs> <Well>, it's fun. <laughs> so with all of the things that you've done, is there are there things where you're like, "Oh, like that you would still really love to do that, you know, kind of a if not something that you're working on now, like a dream project for down the line?" Um I, I try to bite
1: off a little bit at a time, right? So right now I'm only thinking about my father's dragon. And, you know, when I wake up in the middle of the night, that's what I think about. Or when I, <laughs> you know, talk to my sons and they, they you know, they they kind of, you know, say something. They're like, oh, wow, that would be that. That's an amazing insight or whatever. So I, t- I try to think of one thing at a time because, again, animation is such a slow process. You're mm. talking about, you know, you could be five years, uh, you know, thinking about uh, that one character, you know. Uh, I you know I I have other projects on the go of course um, I'm aware that everything takes a long long time to get off the ground I you know sometimes look over my shoulder at you know live action and kind of you know feel uh, attracted to to <laughs> that uh, but I think it's a whole different skill set really um, so I don't know I mean uh, yeah I, I do um, you know I, I I have sketchbooks full uh, uh, of ideas but I I really do I try to. Uh, reserve my uh, and preserve my energy for one project at a time, because I think that it it can be a trap as well to kind of start something and then go, oh, do you know what? I've got this other brilliant idea. I'm just going to go and do that and then start that and then go off on another idea that at one point you have to dig your heels in. You know, and, and, and decide, OK, this is the one that I'm doing. This is the one mm. that I'm going to devote my energy to. And this is the one I'm going to finish, you know.
0: <laughs> absolutely. Because it can take such a huge amount of time, you know, and, uh, and and energy to just finish anything, anything in the world of animation.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But again, that's why you need um, you need a great team of people that are equally committed uh, to telling the story as, as, as you are, you know? Um, so yeah, it, it does take a lot of energy, but it's really rewarding. And I think there's something about animation that's timeless, you know? Um, uh, you can, you can, you can show the secret of Cal's uh, today and it's, you know, it was made well over a decade ago now, mm. um, and was certainly designed, you know, over 15 years ago. Um, uh, and it, it, it doesn't date really. So, uh, there's, yeah, there's something about animation that's that's special. I think it it it, uh, it honors the, the, the work and time that people spend on it, uh, you know, in, in ways more than live action can, you know, mm. you've got the wrong shape of eyebrows in a film and, and <laughs> you know, in a very piece of people, you know, people
0: know exactly what decade it was done. Um, so so this question, it might be a bit difficult, but uh, just because you, you may have so many options. So what, having gotten to the level that you're at now, is there anyone who you were like very much nerding out to get to meet um, oh <laughs> who was well, like so I, so exciting for you <laughs> well uh, when
1: I got to uh, go to the Oscars with uh, the breadwinner I kept trying to get close to uh, Guillermo del Toro oh, he was you know he was you know Chris had been uh, up there for the, the the shape of water and he was the golden guy at the time so <laughs> Um, so I, I was at a series of different award ceremonies around that time where I just kept trying to get close to him. But he was always, you know, like surrounded by, you know, millions of other people trying to get close <laughs> to him. Uh, so I eventually did uh, meet him and he had seen the breadwinner and he'd seen her work and like loved 2D animation and was really. Uh, um, oh, that yeah, that was so that was incredible for me. But, you know, what yeah. was what we- so the whole thing with Hollywood and of all course. of that, you know, people, you know, everybody trying to grasp their opportunity. <laughs> he he kind of hung on to my sleeve. Because he had to hang on to whoever he wanted to
0: talk to, because people were just keeping, you know, kind <laughs> oh, of like, oh yeah, you like know, physically, yeah. physically. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> um, um, yeah. and he's just set up um, a new animation center and studio in Mexico, hasn't he?
1: He has, yeah, yeah, and he's working with uh, with Netflix for uh, uh, with Pinocchio. I think he's making it. Mm. Uh, 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 yeah, so uh, yeah, doing the absolutely incredible work. I mean, it's, it's it's an incredible time to be a filmmaker. There is so many options. Uh, uh, there uh, and, and opportunities. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it's a, it's about kind of keeping your head and making sure that you're you're telling a story that's just trying to push yourself forward as a filmmaker and trying to make new mistakes and trying to, you know, uh, uh, um,
0: uh, just just keep on the right track, I guess. Mm. you know. And is there anyone, you know, kind of out there in the world, like of your of your heroes and inspirations that you would still like to meet? Huh. <laughs>
1: um, let me see. Oh, there's, yeah, too many, I guess <laughs> uh, I, uh, I, yeah. And again, I can only th- think of the people that I actually did get to meet. I got to meet Jane Campion. Oh, amazing. And she, yeah, <laughs> she she's just uh, an absolutely uh, incredible, incredible uh, uh, director as well. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, dead people can i mention dead people that Absolutely. i would love to <laughs> yeah yeah
0: anyone anyone that you would like yeah yeah it's it's yeah. the whole uh, who would you invite to dinner kind of uh oh you <laughs> know what thing.
1: Uh, Charles Lawton, who directed the the, the Night of the Hunter, oh. um, which is again a film that was an inspiration back from you know Song of the Sea. Myself and Tom used to watch it quite a bit, um, and and again looking at you know children's experience and children experiencing something that might be quite harsh, and then for them to kind of understand it through their the, their their own imaginations. For for me, that 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 film is an incredible. Um, uh, It's it such a such a, an incredible film. But, um, you know, at the, the, the time that it was released initially, it was slated by the critics. It was it did really badly. And I don't think he ever directed a film again. You know, he was an actor, of course, as well, but he never directed again. So I'd love to treat him to dinner and tell him, <laughs> Do you know what? Just don't listen to them, you know, <laughs> you, you, that is, you know, work, even though it was just one film, just inspired so many people and will continue to, you know, so. That's that's who I would love to to take to dinner. maybe I'll have
0: an imaginary dinner with him some night and raise it last. <laughs> and I know this is always like a bit of a tricky question as well. So maybe that's one of them. Do you have a favorite a favorite film or even like, you know, top three? Oh, my God. OK. Um.
1: All right. So I would say uh, certainly The Talented Mr. Ripley is one that I keep revisiting in terms of the complexity of the characters and how uh, you know, I was made to feel empathetic with, you know, the most abhorrent of characters, <laughs> really, um, that that's so that's a, an absolute lesson in, in filmmaking for me um, in, in just in every aspect, you know, the soundtrack, everything is just absolutely incredible. Um, let me see. I uh, loved uh, Pan's Labyrinth, of course, mm. Is you know, again, one that is just a touchstone for me and one that. Uh, again, that that whole thing of children experiencing something extremely difficult and trying to understand it through the power of their own imagination—that's just such a, an incredible film. Uh, and the production design is just so so beautiful. Um, and um, I you know what I loved uh just from last year uh the sisters brothers
0: oh yeah have you
1: seen that yeah so that's an absolutely beautiful incredible film again extremely. Um, complicated characters. um, uh, And yeah, it was just a, an absolutely incredible film. I was really depressed that it didn't do better than I, I, I thought it was going to, because I, I think that films that are that well made uh, uh, and ones that I know that film is going to be there in 20 and 40 in 100 years time, and people will be looking at it and saying what a, a you know, a, a, an absolutely incredible Western. You <laughs> know, what a brilliant mm, film. yeah. Um, so uh i I just wish it was appreciated more you know um but again, you know this is maybe where the role of streamers come in, you know that people will discover films like that, and it's it's not to you know it will have less to do with the power of your uh your distribution model and and more yeah. to do with the quality the quality of your film, you know, yeah, so, um,
0: not so reliant on box office, yeah. Absolutely.
1: Well, or, you know, just the thing is, is that if you have a huge budget for just putting a film in front of people's noses, that's the film they're going to go to see. Yes, (laughs) absolutely. uh, Unless it's an absolute bomb or something like that. So but, you know, the the thing is, is that, uh, yeah, lots of good films don't get seen. So I'm I'm, I'm delighted with the streaming services that are there that will make, you know, and I don't think they will kill cinema. I think they'll just uh, transform it, reinvent
0: it. Mm. So I've just got one, one last question, uh, to, to end our, to end our time together. And that's a a classic, a staple of interviews, which is, is there any one piece of advice that, um, either has been given to you or that's, you know, stuck in your mind that you would like to pass on to, uh, to aspiring directors, animators, filmmakers out there?
1: Oh, what piece of advice was I given? I'm, too flaky to ever remember anything of any <laughs> importance <laughs> it can be just so, a, a, an own <clears throat> uh,
0: your own piece of wisdom as well <laughs> well well
1: you know i i I do think you know there is a huge amount of just hard work you know i think that you just have to um you have to work hard you have to work smart right so it's not about long hours it's about thoughtful that you know being thoughtful about the time that you're spending uh I- I- making making your project making your film um and empowering those around you um to to help make that film as good as it possibly can be you know um i think that you know in years gone by there was certainly you know that okay let's you know work a finger to the bone let's do 12 hours a day let's do <laughs> 7 days a week let's you know that that but you know um If you spend any bit of time doing work like that, you realize that you don't do quality work that way. You know, you have to you have to uh, uh, the only way to do quality work is to really uh, live a life, you Mm. know, and live as full life as you as you can and just try to be a storyteller and a listener um, uh, with that, you know. So,
0: again, that's a kind of a rambling piece of advice, but I guess, (laughs) you know, (laughs) important, though, and good for people to hear, I think. Well, Nora, thank you so much. This has been really wonderful and I think really inspiring too. I think you will absolutely succeed in uh, you know, inspiring someone out there who hears this. Well, thank you very much, Christina. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us, listeners. To find out more about our guest, the Screen Directors Guild, or its animation branch, the Animation Alliance, go to www.sdgi.com dot ie.